We're still in shock at the news of the tragic death of Devin Dunkley this week. Devin's family is part of our sister church in the Junction, and his mother's on staff there. He was a part of our youth group for many years. Uh, this past Wednesday, Blair invited me to share from the scriptures at youth, and as the week moved on, as I was trying to work on how to speak into that situation this morning and start the series, I felt like as what I wanted to share as it relates to this tragedy grew, I realized this really needs to be the message for this morning. So I'll start the series, The Thrill of Hope, next Sunday. But there are some things that I really want to make sure um, we all hear, not just with our ears, but hear with our hearts in the context of this tragedy. And I say that because I know that um, there are many people here walking through the valley of the shadow of death. People who themselves are walking through the valley of the shadow of death, or there are people known to you. Maybe you didn't know Devin or his family, or you're not connected relationally with them. But death is never far from many of our lives. And so I want to speak into that this morning. Uh, I also had to speak at the Christian school this Friday, their chapel service, and they'd been informed of this tragedy, and um, I ran them through an exercise that was helpful for me to know how to speak into their little lives on Friday morning. I'm going I'm to do the same exercise with you. I'm going to invite you to close your eyes. I'm going to ask you to keep your eyes closed for the duration of this exercise, and I want you to picture in your mind's eye a traffic, traffic light, red light, yellow light, green light. And I want you to just take a temperature of your own heart, a read of your own heart, and I want to ask the question, how do you come into this space this morning? What what kind of color is your heart? Uh, Maybe your heart is red. And red for me is that symbol of deep anger, deep frustration, um, deep confusion, but there's a rawness there. And that, that's red for me. And yellow might be a mix of emotions, or I'm not exactly sure how I feel. Uh, maybe in some parts of the day I'm doing well, and in other parts of the day I'm not doing well. Or there, there are these positive things happening over here in this area of my life, and in another area there's a lot of negative things happening. And it's a real awkward mix. It's a collision of the good and the bad. And so I can't say I feel red, but I also don't feel like things are overall just smooth sailing. That would be yellow. And, and green would be, um, I honestly just feel really good. I come into this space with a lot of momentum, a lot of hope, a lot of excitement, a lot of joy. Now, I want you to keep your eyes closed, but I want to invite you to share just by raising your hands where you are in that. And I know that sometimes that's a vulnerable thing to do, So I'm asking you to keep your eyes closed so that you can feel confident that, you know, you're not necessarily sharing this with everybody, but you are sharing it with me because I need to know how to speak into where this community is at. So with your eyes closed, would you raise your hand if you enter this space today as kind of the color red, deep anger, deep fear, deep frustration. Just hold your hand up if that describes your space. Okay, you can put your hand down. And now I'd invite you to keep your eyes closed and raise your hand if you feel like you're yellow. There's a real awkward, strange mix. 
Thank you. Put your hands down. And then keeping your eyes closed if you're feeling green. And this feels, uh, you feel very positive, very happy. Um, just raise your hand and testify to that. Good. Okay. Put your hands down. Open your eyes. If you put your hand up because you're feeling red, I'm glad you're here. Because this is a space, this is a context where we're not only allowed, but summoned by the Lord himself to say, come and bring your burdens and cast your cares on me. I care for you. This is a space for you. Um, So I'm glad you're here. And if you put your hand up because you were in an awkward, strange, disoriented space, I'm glad you're here too. Because through prayer and worship and through teaching, um, that's how God begins to move in and through us by his spirit to begin sorting out and redeeming and bringing restoration to these really confusing um, paradoxes that we have to walk through. And if you're in a green space and you're feeling positive and, and good, I'm glad you're here too. Because your presence and your enthusiasm and your joy is something that those who aren't feeling that need. And it's also important for you to be here because you probably know someone who isn't green. And, and it's also important for you to be here because most likely we fast forward a few months and you won't be green. You'll find yourself in a space of redness or yellowness, as it were. And so I hope that for all of us, God's word speaks powerfully into all of our hearts this morning. We have record of an early Christian community in the ancient city called Thessalonica. These were early believers in Jesus. They were experiencing death within their church. Sometimes it was a natural death. Sometimes it was a tragic death. Sometimes it was death by uh, persecution, by the government authorities. And they were wondering how to process it. And they were asking their church leaders, what are, how, what's our posture towards death supposed to be? We follow Jesus, this, uh, this one who was killed and crucified on a cross, but was raised on the third day. How are we to understand and view death? And Paul writes these words to that church. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 to 18, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the, Lord's, until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left, sorry, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. In this passage, I see two postures that Christians are to have towards death. As we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, as we find the specter of death enfolding us, and maybe it feels like it's even overwhelming us, there's two postures that Christians are called to have in the face of death. We're called to live a certain way as Christians in the face of death. And the first way that we're called to live, the first posture that we're supposed to hold is that we are called to mourn. We are called to mourn in the face of death. We're called to mourn the loss that comes as a result of death. 
in verse 13, Paul says, Brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Notice what Paul doesn't say. He doesn't say, Why are you guys crying? You're Christians. The joy of the Lord will be your strength. Happy clappy, let's go. You don't, you don't need to uppity uppity. Let's, let's, let's raise the, the, the temperature of the room. He says, I don't want you to grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. He says, you will grieve and mourn as a Christian. You should grieve and mourn as a Christian. But the shape of your grief and the shape of your mourning is going to look different because you're a part of a different story. You have a meta-narrative. You have an overarching story that's framed by the gospel. So you live with a different kind of hope. So your grief looks different. It takes a different shape. But you, of course, are going to grieve and you're going to mourn. And I'm going to expand on the shape that that grief takes in a second, but I want to make sure that we stay on this first crucial point, that Christians mourn the loss that comes from death. Death is a monster because it removes people from our lives that are image bearers of God, no matter who they are, that are valuable to us, that are important, that are beautiful. Death is a foreign corruption to God's good creation. So when death takes things from us, our appropriate response should be to cry out to God and say, this is not the way things are supposed to be. It is important, and I would say spiritually, it's critical to mourn. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 4, blessed are those who mourn, for you will be comforted. Jesus said, one of the central values and virtues of the kingdom of God will be people who know how to mourn. In God's kingdom, it's not a virtue to be stoic or unfeeling in the face of death. In the presence of significant loss, it doesn't reveal that we're more spiritual or that we're stronger because we can keep a stiff upper lip or we can contain and control our grief. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for you will be comforted. Jesus wept in the face of tragedy. When his cousin John the Baptist is beheaded, Jesus weeps. When Jesus is informed that his friend Lazarus has died, the perfect God-man, fully God, fully human, weeps. Jesus wept, John 11 tells us that we can allow the searing pain that comes from losing a loved one to find expression through our tears and our crying out to God, what that reveals is that we're becoming more like Jesus, not less. When we can give voice to the pain when confronted with the loss that comes from death, that's actually a marker of spiritual maturity. It's a marker of spiritual growth. It's a marker of Christ-likeness. Our culture isn't very good at teaching people how to mourn and how to grieve. And that's a big topic. But I want to share with you one thing that has been helpful for me as I've moved through different places of grief in my life. 
I want, and I want to make this very, very practical because I find giving voice to my emotions, just generally speaking, very, very difficult. So this is a practice that I have done and continue to do at times, but I think it's especially important and, and hopefully it'll be helpful for you just as a starting point because this is entry-level how to grieve. What I've done is I take about, fi- I, I set aside five minutes a day. Five minutes, literally a timer. I have a timer, it's time-bound. It's a set appointment that I have with God and for a season of my life when I was processing uh, a really tragic loss, uh, I made it four o'clock in the afternoon. That just worked for me. I, that was a time where every day I could set an alarm. And what I did is I, in that moment, got by myself and for five minutes, I, as best as I knew how, I gave myself permission to feel whatever I was feeling and to uh, kind of vomit out to God everything that I was feeling. And for that five minutes, I just gave myself permission to just be as honest with God as I could. God, I'm feeling red. God, I'm feeling yellow. Eugene Peterson says, the great temptation of prayer is to spend all of our time saying nice things to God. And the scripture teaches us a very different way. That we are uh, permitted and indeed commanded, cast all your cares on him for he cares for you, Peter says, to bring all of who we are, all of our mess, all of our desperation and our anger and our frustration and our questioning, we're allowed to bring that to God. We're invited to. God isn't insecure. We, God doesn't emotionally or relationally recoil when we bring strong emotions in his presence. The psalmist says God is close to the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. God draws near to those who are drawing near to him. And so for that five minutes, my practice was I will try and be as honest with God as I can and I'll give myself permission to not say nice things to God. And that was really helpful for me. And I made it a daily practice for a long time. And whether, when there are times where I still, a memory or something triggers and I, I, I recall something that comes to mind, situation, or maybe I'm praying for one of you, I know, but a situation in your life. I I bring that to God in that five minutes. And that doesn't mean I don't grieve outside of that five minutes, but that five minutes is about teaching me how to grieve. Of course, you might spend 15 minutes, you might spend an hour. That's wonderful. But for me, I'm kind of emotionally stunted in that area. And so I had to keep it short and contained. Christians are called to mourn in the face of death. It is a good thing, it is a godly thing to mourn and to grieve in the face of death. That's our first posture towards death. We mourn. Our second posture is we mock. We mock. We mock death. We mock the powerlessness of death. Listen to Paul's words. In verse 14, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. 
For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Paul again in 1 Corinthians 15. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, his resurrection was the first. Then when he comes again, those who belong to him. And then the end will come. When he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. I've been reading in preparation for my series on the Incarnation, St. Athanasius's kind of classic work on the Incarnation. I'd heard about it for a number of years, never read it. He's a fourth century bishop, uh, early church leader. And he has a chapter on the resurrection. And he shares how he has witnessed as a bishop and as a leader within the early church, how the truth of the resurrection transformed Christian's posture in his day towards death. And specifically, he highlights how the resurrection has led to Christians despising death. And what he means by despising is mocking it, belittling it, teasing it as if it's something that was once powerful and now it's powerless. Something that was once a great threat and now is a temporary inconvenience. I want to share a quote. It's in the sermon handout. I wanted to make sure you have this. You can read through it, reflect on it. But I want to read through this together. A very strong proof of this destruction of death and its conquest by the cross is supplied by a present fact, namely this. All the disciples of Christ despise death. They take the offensive against it. And instead of fearing it by the sign of the cross and by faith in Christ, trample on it, as on something dead. Before the divine sojourn of the Savior, meaning before Jesus came, even the holiest of men were afraid of death and mourned the dead as those who perish, as those whose life, is, like that's your existence is over. But now that the Savior has raised his body, death is no longer terrible. But all those who believe in Christ tread it underfoot as nothing and prefer to die rather than to deny their faith in Christ knowing full well that when they die, they don't perish, but live indeed and become incorruptible through the resurrection. There is proof of this too. For men who, before they believed in Christ, think death horrible and are afraid of it, once they are converted, they despise it so completely that they go eagerly to meet it and themselves become witnesses of the Savior's resurrection from it. Even children hasten thus to die. And not met only, but women train themselves in bodily discipline to meet it. So weak has death become that even women who used to be taken in by it, and he's referencing their childbirth and the high mortality rates and the fear that death would cause women, that even women who used to be taken in by it mock it now as a dead thing robbed of all of its strength. Death has become like a tyrant who has been completely conquered by the legitimate monarch. It's been bound hand and foot, and passers-by sneer at him, hitting him and abusing him. They're no longer afraid of his cruelty or his rage because of the king who has conquered him. 
So has death been conquered and branded for what it is by the Savior on the cross. It is bound hand and foot. All who are in Christ trample it as they pass, and as witnesses to him deride it, scoffing and saying, Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, grave, where's your sting? If then it is by the sign of the cross and by faith in Christ that death is trampled underfoot, it is clear that Christ himself and none other who is the arch victor over death and has robbed it of its power. Death used to be strong and terrible, but now since the sojourn of the Savior and the death and resurrection of his body, it is despised. See, no one in his senses doubts that a snake is dead when he sees it trampled underfoot, especially when he knows how savage it used to be. If he sees boys making fun of a lion, does he doubt that the brute is either dead or completely bereft of strength? These things can be seen with our own eyes, and it is the same with the conquest of death. Doubt no longer then, when you see death mocked and scorned by those who believe in Christ, that by Christ, death was destroyed, and the corruption of death brought to an end. If you are a Christian, you serve a king who through his life, death, and resurrection has broken death and trampled it underfoot. When Jesus was resurrected, he defeated this last enemy. Now those who are in Christ are no longer held hostage by death's power. Death is a defeated foe so that now we live without fear. We know, as Paul says, we're confident and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord, 2 Corinthians 5.8. And we have an even greater hope than this, that one day Jesus is going to return and fully establish his kingdom. And when he does, Revelation 21 says that this new kingdom will mean that there is no more death or mourning or crying or pain because the old order of things has passed away. The resurrection of Jesus inaugurates the death of death. So as Christians, we no longer fear it. We can mock it. Even as we mourn, we also mock death because it's a temporary inconvenience in the grand story of the cosmos. And so death should absolutely cause us to mourn and to grieve because someone of tremendous value has been taken from us. But death ought never to cause us to despair. And we must never succumb to the illusion that death is the end of the story. Death has now been swallowed up in the victory of the resurrection. And Jesus will come again one day and destroy death completely. And so we say and so we proclaim and let me proclaim into my heart and into yours that because of what Jesus has done for you and for me and for Devin, death does not have the final word. What I'd like to do this morning is take a few minutes and close our time, um, or this time, uh, with some prayer, corporate prayer. Um, I have some prepared prayers that I will share um, but I also want to give space for other people to pray. You can pray silently. You can also pray out loud if you're comfortable doing that.
all pray. Um, again, I have some prayers here that I want to pray for the Martins family. And you can pray for the Martins family. You can also be praying for other people in your life. You can pray for yourself. This is really a time to bring those who, who are close to you who are walking through the valley of the shadow of death into prayer. And so uh, I'll pray, and I don't really have too much of a structure. I'll kind of leave it open and open spaces. You can feel free to pray. I might pray a few times, and then I'll, I'll, I'll close after some extended silence. So let's pray together. Gracious God, surround us and all who mourn this day with your continuing compassion. Do not let the grief overwhelm your children or turn them against you. When the grief seems never-ending, take them one step at a time along your road of death and resurrection. In Jesus Christ, our Lord. Psalm 34 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those who are crushed in spirit. God, I pray that you would bring comfort to the Martins family with your love. Would you wrap them up in your strong embrace? Would you shelter them in the midst of this storm, God? Would you envelop them in your tender care? Give them grace to pour out their hearts to you. At night, God, give them a measure of your shalom to calm their racing thoughts. May they take refuge in you. May they not be afraid. May you hold them strong, God. May you be their fortress. Would you calm their fearful hearts, God? Calm their anxious minds? May you remind them and reveal yourself to them. Would you remind them that their being, all that they are, is held together in your love, God?
I invite you to stand, and I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. I'm still going to do a final prayer here, but I'd l- I think it'd be good for us to stand. And um, however awkward this is, I don't think it needs to be awkward. But just hold hands with someone beside you. If you're not beside someone, um, this is a good time to be reminded, tactile, that God holds our hands. We're valuable to God. You're loved by God. You're loved by me. By many people here. So let's pray. God, you've, you've brought us to birth and you're the God in whose arms we die. In our grief and our shock, God, would you, um, would you contain and would you comfort us? Would you embrace us with your love? Would you give us hope in our confusion? Would you give us grace to see the new life available in and through Jesus Christ? Amen.